Well, good evening, everybody. Pastor Wayne here from Summit Church. Hey, we had a little technical issue with our streaming uh, message this morning, so I thought I'd redo it here tonight. And uh, by the way, if you are technically oriented and you're in the Douglas County area, I sure could use your help as a volunteer at our, at our church. Maybe you're good with video and sound and technical stuff. It would be great to have someone volunteer in that capacity so I can focus on other things. But tonight, I'm gonna redo today's message out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses uh, 1, all the way through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But hey, before we get into the study, will you do me a favor? Will you share this link with a friend? Pastor Wayne H. everywhere on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Twitch, Instagram, all those wonderful places. And just a quick reminder, this coming Sunday is our Backpack Day, our Backpack Sunday. It's Back to School Sunday. We're going to be praying over our kids and over the teachers, and we're packing 24 different backpacks for the kids for this school year, especially for the kids over at Sedalia Elementary School. So we want to pray over all the kids, pray over all the teachers. I'm going to invite everyone that can to be a part of this. There's, there'll be a link uh, in the description here below later where you can um, find the list where you can donate items. And if you can have them to, church, to the church building by next Sunday morning so that every backpack is fully stocked, that would be wonderful. And I think that's everything I have. So let's get into our study here tonight. In fact, let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to be on the feed as we, as we study the scriptures. Lord, we love you. We thank you that your word always, uh, it always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And so tonight, as we talk about new ideas in the kingdom of God, help us to see that your ideas are the best ideas. Help us to put away our old thinking and take on kingdom thinking in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. So I'm glad you're joining me here tonight. I've titled this Bible study, New Ideas from 2 Corinthians. Now, some of you know I'm a sketch artist. I, I, I do children's books. I have this little book series called Tilly the Tilapia. When you see one of these over someone's head, bing! What does it mean in the cartoons when you see a, a light bulb over someone's head, bing! It means a new idea. Boom, Eureka! I thought of something, right? And I want to just uh, posit this idea tonight in their study that God gives some new ideas when it comes to spirituality versus religion. I'm not talking about that I've discovered any new ideas in Scripture. One of my Bible college professors used to say, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Uh, if someone comes up to me and says, hey, Pastor Wade, I've been studying the Bible, and I came up with something that no one's ever thought of before, I can go, um, I'm pretty sure that's not true. I'm sure that someone has thought about that probably in the second or third or fourth or fifth, sixth century of the church. Um, there's not a lot of new ideas in Christianity. There's not a lot of new heresies, frankly, in Christianity. Uh, lots of twisted scriptures, lots of people try to manipulate the Bible to make it say what they wanted to say, and that's been happening for a long time. But man's idea of reaching God is always religious, right? It's always about um, suffering and, and proving to God that you're worthy of his love, or it's about doing this set of rules or keeping a certain set of ceremonies. I've heard it said this way, that, that religion is man's failed attempt at reaching God. But true, true Christianity or true spirituality is God's successful attempt at reaching humankind. 
And I think that's true. And so these new ideas that I'm going to be sharing with you today, they're not my ideas, they're God's ideas. They're new ideas that Christianity brings to the table, that Christ brought to the table, and that the Apostle Paul teaches to this church in the city of Corinth through his second letter. So let's get into our study here. And the first new idea that we see Paul talking about is about a new way of finding forgiveness, new mercy, or even new encouragement. See, the old way of getting right with God was you would make an animal sacrifice. That blood of that animal would take your place, right? Or you would cut yourself, or you would do some kind of ritual, or some kind of ceremony um, to prove your worth. And that's how you would make atonement for your sins or for the bad things you've done or to prove your worth to the gods, right? But that's not, that's not God's way. God's new idea is a new way of forgiveness. It's a new way of mercy. So uh, I'm going to flip over here in my Bible app to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to start here with verse, we'll, just, we'll, we'll start with verse 5. It says this, forgiveness for the sinner. So I'm not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, Paul is referring to what we referred to last week. There was this man in the church at Corinth that was in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And that's, that's uh, pretty abhorrent even today. If someone was in a sexual relationship with their stepmom, that's pretty gross. It's, it's not, it it's kind of goes against social norms. And he was, the church was claiming, oh, we're so tolerant. We're so open-minded. This guy can be a leader. He can be, he's just part of our church. He's just a deacon. He's just a leader, you know. And, and they're like, no, Paul says, no, deal with the sin in his life. Get, get him out of there until he decides to repent. And so the church does this very thing. And Paul says, but now he's repentant. This man has changed and he, he wants to come back around. So this very man who's committing these pretty heinous sins in the other church decides that he wants to come back into fellowship. And here's what, where Paul picks up. So he says, most of you opposed him and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it's time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you and to see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority and for your benefit, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. See, the devil's been at this for a long time. His three, three-pronged strategy has always been the same, to steal, kill, and destroy. And the reason why that strategy has always been his strategy is because it works. <laughs> and so he knows that if he can get us confused, if he can get us bitter, if he can get us angry, if he can get us fighting against one another, then he can divide the church. He can divide good people against one another. We can get races fighting against each other. We can get political parties fighting against each other. And we get so angry and bitter and confused that we can't accomplish anything. And then the devil wins, right? The enemy wins. But God's way is love. God's way is forgiveness. It's a new way of mercy. It's a new way of encouragement. And so Paul's just saying we're members of a new agreement, a new covenant, a new way of being right with God. Here's what he picks up in chapter 14 of this same passage. We are ministers of a new covenant. He says, but thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. 
Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere, like a sweet perfume. Our lives are like Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. Um, rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? Paul is saying, you know, when you live with righteous people, and you like to be around righteous people, you're trying to live a godly life, it's good to be around Christians. But when someone is stuck in their mess and they, they're stuck in their sin and they don't want to change, <laughs> when someone godly walks in, they feel convicted of their sin, they feel guilty, they're like, ooh, I don't like that person because it reminds me of my shortcomings and my failures and how much I don't feel like I'm connected with God right now. And that's, that's the fragrance that he's talking about. And so he continues here in verse 17, he says, So you see, we are not like the, the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Now for a little context here in the Corinthian church, Paul was being followed around by these super apostles, by these Judaizers from Jerusalem who would bring letters of recommendation from these highfalutin people in the temple and the church and different places. And they're saying, we're the real apostles. We're the real teachers of the law. You want to be a real Christian? Well, you need to convert to Judaism first, and then you can be a Christian. And you got to be circumcised, you have to do this, you have to keep this mosaic law, you got to eat kosher, you got to let the hair in your temples grow long, you got to become an Orthodox Jew, and then, then Christ will accept you. And that's not the conditions of salvation, especially from what, what the words of Jesus said. He said, God so loved the world, not just the Jewish people, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish. doesn't say keep the letter of the law perfectly. doesn't say do these religious rituals and ceremonies. Whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's a new way of forgiveness. It's a new way of being reconciled to find mercy and encouragement in the Lord. The second new and big idea that we see from Paul in our study here tonight from chapter 3 in 2 Corinthians is a new covenant. It's the spirit over the law. The spirit over the law. See, the Old Testament was all about the law and all the rules and the Ten Commandments and all things. those things are good, but those, those laws, those rules, all they do is show me my shortcomings. It doesn't give me the ability to obey. It just shows me where I'm wrong. It actually just makes me feel more guilty. But the Spirit gives life. When I receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit and his presence into my life, I begin, the, the appetites and the thoughts and the attitudes of my heart begin to change. My hard heart becomes soft. I begin to, to think more about God and other people than I begin to think about myself so much anymore. Um, I, when I do something bad, I feel I feel guilty about it. I don't, I, I have remorse over those things. There's good things that I start to want to do that I never wanted to do before. That's the Holy Spirit inside of me and inside of you uh, doing these good works. So let's pick it up here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, are we beginning to praise ourselves? Ooh, did I lose it? Maybe I lost it. Yeah, maybe I did. That's all right. He says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? 
Are we like others who need to bring letters of recommendation or who ask to write such letters on our behalf? Surely not. The one letter of recommendation that we need is you yourselves. You are our letter of recommendation. It says, I don't need a letter from Jerusalem, from some teacher or for some rabbi. You yourself, your changed life is all the recommendation that I need. <laughs> and that's true. When a life has been changed, you don't need a bunch of intellectual assent or philosophy or religious talk. A changed life is, is, a, is the pure recommendation. And so we have a new covenant in God. We have a new, there's a new glory that comes on us when we come into Christ. And this is what Paul says, talking about the old way of the law, which is etched in stone, led to death. But the new way of life brings the life of God inside of us. And he says it's a lot like when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he got the Ten Commandments, the glory of God came over Moses and his face shone so brightly when he came down from the mountain that he actually put a veil over his face because people were like, Moses, can you turn down the light? It's so bright. He, <laughs> he hid the glory because... It was blinding to people. And so he says here in verse 12 of this chapter, see if it works now. Nope, I'm out, of, I'm out of luck. Since this new way of giving us such confidence, gives us so, so much confidence in this new way, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, so they do, they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Now that is pretty deep stuff. That's pretty incredible stuff. What is God up to with all of this? What is, what is he doing with this whole issue of his glory and his power that's at work inside of you and me? Well, he is revealing himself, his character and his nature. Not only is he showing the truth about the law and the rules that we ought to do, but he's giving us the ability to do it. He's giving us the ability, the desire, the, the hunger, the thirst to obey and to live according to the spirit and not according to the law. Now that is, that's pretty incredible, and I don't know how else to, to describe it or say it, but it's a new agreement. It's a new promise. It's something that can't be uh, grasped or understood intellectually. It's something that has to be experienced spiritually and emotionally in the life of a believer, in the life of a person. So I hope that, that you are interested in turning over your life more and more to the presence and the power of God because that's where the answers are. That's where you can begin to do the stuff that God has commanded us to do and you have the desire to please him. You have a, a desire to live in friendship with God. Well, this brings me to chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians and the, the, this third idea is there's a new treasure. 
He says that we're like jars of clay that have treasure inside of them, right? What's, what's really important is the treasure inside is not the clay jar that, that's holding the treasure. And we are like that. These, these frail bodies that we have, they hold eternity in our hearts and our minds. They hold the great treasure of the kingdom of heaven. And what we have to do is realize that, that we're, we may suffer in this life. We have some in our, difficulties in our body. But this is not the end of the story. This is just the beginning of the story. As God's eternal power dwells inside our minds, our hearts, our souls, as we begin to be the incarnational representation of Jesus in the world with our hands and our feet, he goes with us. And so here's what he says about having these treasures in clay jars. He says, If the good news that we preach is hidden behind a veil, it's only from the people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, was, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They were unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ and who is the exact likeness of God. He says, now we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and it's not from ourselves. So we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies so we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life for you. This is the eternal gospel of God. And let's skipping down here to verse 17 of chapter 4. He says, For our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. Speaking of the eternal qualities of the kingdom of God, right? His mercy, his love, his goodness, his grace, all the promises of the Bible that we know are true. Deep down in our hearts, we know there's something reaching out towards us, right? Some people call it the universe, or they call it the higher power. For me, it's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit, it's Father God, it's the Trinity. I feel God reaching down, and my, my response in worship is to reach back and say, God, put your treasure in me. Now, I don't know how exactly he does it, but I know he does because I've experienced it. You know, some things in life, you're not going to fully grasp the mechanics of how it works, but you're only going to know it through experience. Just like driving a car. You probably don't understand all the inner workings of what's going on under the hood between the spark plugs and the, the fuel lines and the battery and, and the exhaust system and the cooling system and the air conditioning. You like all that stuff? It's kind of a mystery under there for some of us, right? But the truth is we, we turn the key and we just trust that the car is going to get us to where we're going. Well, that's how it is with heaven. We say, God, I don't fully understand everything. But I, I have enough faith to get in the car and let you drive and let you take my life where you want it to go. Let's get to, to uh, chapter 5 here. Again, we're talking about a resurrection. We're talking about 
the very promise that one day we will bodily, physically resurrect and be in the very presence of the Lord. And this was such a, it was, it was, um, it was unbelievable to the Greek Christians and the Roman Christians, to, to the pagan people, because they just could not grasp the idea that a dead person could be raised. They had never seen it in their history. Of course, the Jewish people had seen it with Elijah and Elisha. They had seen it. Here, I got my Bible back. All right. So we're going to look here in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians and see this verse here, ch chapter 5, verse 1. It says, For we know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, but we long to put our heavenly bodies uh, like new clothing, to put, put them on. For we will put on heavenly bodies, and we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up in life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident. Even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident that we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we would be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in the body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. See, God has a plan for your life. He also has a plan for your afterlife. He has a plan for your eternal life. And that's a pretty big idea. The idea of a new body, new creation. I am a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I am being renewed and regenerated by Christ in his resurrection. And here's what he says down in verse... 17 of the passage, which I think is, is powerful enough for us to read and to look at here, about midway down on the screen. So this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Praise God that we don't have to keep living in our old dead sinful life and on the muck and the mire and the depression and the fear and the anxiety and the bitterness and hatred and anger. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. But when Jesus comes in, we begin to have a supernatural experience with God. He fills us with his spirit. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of living. I don't live by the minutia and the religion and the rules and all that stuff anymore and the law. I live according to the spirit. And the spirit gives me life. Which takes me to chapter 6 and we'll land our study here. The final idea, bing, <laughs> final idea in the study is that we get new alliances, new relationships, closer relationships. When you come to Christ, your, your close relationships will probably change because your values change. Now, it's not like you're going to get rid of everybody out of your life, but the people that you're closest to, like a business partner, your spouse, your, your significant other, the nearest, your best friend, your nearest and dearest relationships will probably be also believers, people who have the same 
worldview and these same values. But when you begin to uh, change like that, those what other people value begins to not mean so much to you anymore. And here's what Paul says. He, he goes through hardships and he talks about his hardships. But in verse 14, I really want to focus in here as he talks about this new life in Christ and, and that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says this, So don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. I like what my study Bible says about this particular passage. Paul warned against fraternizing with the enemy during times of war. And just like the war of good and evil, we don't want to fraternize with the enemy. He says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Don't have near and dear relationships with people who would be at cross purposes with your relationship with the God. He says, whether in a marriage or in business, there will be challenges enough without trying to navigate with a partner who is opposing views on good and evil. Or whether there's even such a thing as good or evil. The Bible clearly commands us to love all people, just as God does. But it is imperative to avoid teaming up with those who oppose our most deeply cherished values. Man, that's so important. And how do you, <laughs> how do you, you make the distinguish, the distinguishing uh, characteristics of the relationships? Are, am I influence, influencing others or are they influencing me? Who are the dearest and nearest intimate relationships of which I really rely upon? And where, what are they, what's the fountain of their wisdom? Where's, where's their information coming from? And if it's not from God, or if it comes from um, just dark and confused thinking, you want to be very careful about teaming up with people like that. I always, during my message, I always try to share the gospel in a unique way. And this, this week, I wanted to show you a little evangelism tool that I've used for years and years. It's called... The Avanja Cube, and it's kind of like a Rubik's Cube. It's almost like a kid's toy. It flips around. It goes in different modes, and, and it tells the gospel story. And you can find this at e3resources.com. But the e, here's, here's the story of the Avanja Cube. This man represents you and me, all of humanity. And the glory here, if you can see that without the reflection, that represents God. And you can see there's a separation between mankind and God. Sin separates us from God. So we have all sinned. Sin is the bad things that we do or the good that we leave undone that separates us from God. Well, Jesus sent was sent to the earth and he laid down his life willingly and he died on the cross. Now he didn't just die, but he died for a reason. He died for your sins and for my sins. He died in our place. He took the punishment that should have been ours. Well, he was buried in a tomb like this, and it was sealed, and two Roman guards were placed to guard that tomb. Three days later, according to the scriptures and according to what the prophets has predicted about Messiah, he came back to life. He was resurrected. Look at that. Jesus coming out of the tomb there. Jesus came out of the tomb proving that he had the power over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And because he lives... We can live also. 
That's a really powerful idea that I don't accomplish this, he accomplished it, and I just receive it by faith, by believing and trusting in what Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And then because of his work that he accomplished, both through dying and through resurrection, he's made a way for you and I to cross that gospel bridge, cross to, to cross what he's done on the cross and get us to the Heavenly Father, to have our sins forgiven, to be reconciled with God, to have a friendship with God. That's pretty powerful. And it's up to you. God does not force this decision on anybody. He's not, he's, he doesn't make anybody do this. You have, to, you have to reach back. Christ is reaching his hand, his nail-pierced hand, down to you and me. And your, your decision is, will you receive what he's done? Will you take his hand and receive salvation? Will you say yes to Jesus? Will you say yes and enjoy eternity with him forever? Or the fires of separation and perdition and a punishment for the sins that he already paid for, but you decide to pay for them yourself? It's your choice. He's not going to make you choose him. And so th this is a very important decision that you need to make. Well, I hope that you'll, you'll pray this prayer with me and receive Christ. Will you just pray a simple prayer of receiving Jesus, asking him to forgive you of your sins and to be the leader, to be the Lord of your life? Will you pray right now with me? Say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for going my own way. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. I believe God raised you from the dead, according to the scriptures. Please come into my heart, be my savior, and be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, you've invited Christ to come into your heart, that he's given you a new heart, a heart for righteousness, a heart to live for God. What you ought to do from here is start reading right here. Start reading the Bible. Open God's Word. Get a copy of the Scriptures. Begin to learn more about Jesus and about the God the Father and the Old, New and the Old Testament. Learn about what it means to be a follower, to be a disciple of Christ. Talk to God every day in prayer. Maybe you prayed before, but it seemed like you weren't making a connection or you didn't know what you were doing. Now that you have Christ living inside of you, prayer is going to make a lot more sense because you believe you have Christ with you and you'll feel His presence with you in your life. Get together with other believers. And it doesn't matter who they are, black, white, rich, or poor. Just find some other believers to begin to hang out with. Go to a local Bible-believing church and grow in your knowledge and your faith and your love of the Lord. And then finally, take this message of the gospel, this message of what grace, that you just by believing, right? Grace through faith, just believing and credited as righteousness. If I'll just believe and receive the forgiveness, I'll become adopted into God's family and be one of his kids. Take that message and share it with the world. The Evangicube, e3resources.com. It's a great little resource to share the gospel. Well, I'm so glad that you joined me on this feed and this study tonight. We'll continue our study with 2 Corinthians chapter 7 next week. And I'm so blessed that you were a part. Let me give you a, just the blessing here tonight. There'll be some ways that you can partner with the ministry here at the end. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. Lift your countenance and give you his peace. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great evening, everybody. Have a great weekend, a week, and I'll see you next weekend. And uh, participate with us in this school supplies drive next Sunday. It's going to be a great, great time. God bless. Have a good night.
Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hansen. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.